You're about to hear my conversation with Jamie Storrow. He is the managing director at Northleaf Capital, focused on infrastructure. We talk all about how to approach infrastructure investing, including how to source deals, how to think about operational improvements and working with management teams, as well as exiting those deals. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Jamie Storrow. Jamie is the Managing Director leading the infrastructure effort at Northleaf Capital. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Looking forward to a wide-ranging conversation. Why don't we start with how you became interested in infrastructure as an investment opportunity and, and as a whole? Sure. Uh, so I lived in the London, UK in the late 90s. Uh, and I decided to take a short... I was working there. Uh, and I decided to take a short break. Uh, and I got a, a six-month work visa for Australia. Okay. And so I left London, uh, moved to Sydney for half a year, and I got a job with a, a financial institution there called Macquarie. And so Macquarie uh, has been traditionally one of the pioneers of the infrastructure industry. And, and while I didn't work in an infrastructure-specific team while I was there, I got to see a lot, uh, meet a lot of people um, who, who did work in that industry. And it was, it was particularly um, relevant at the time because... In the 90s, Australia started what is has been one of the largest OECD privatization programs that we've seen. Right. So the, the UK and Australia have been two of the major privatization countries out there. And this era was really uh, quite a prominent era for, for the industry. So I got a bit of a high-level view from that. And then... Um, I moved to back to London. So I moved back to London and I started working in the aerospace industry. Uh, so I was working on aircraft, aircraft components and things like that. And, and it, there's a lot of similarities with infrastructure. And so I, I actually got the opportunity to work on a really um, pure crossover between aerospace and infrastructure. And it, it happened to be a UK public-private partnership. And this private partnership supported the installation and management of a whole series of helicopter simulators for the military. Okay. So it was a UK military public-private partnership. And, and so through that investment, I really got to see, you know, it started my education, if you will. So I, it, was a, it, was a, it was a pure infrastructure contract and, you know, under what was then called the UK Private Finance Initiative, which most people call public-private partnerships. But you know, that that really kicked me off. And, you know, from there, I, I, I directly moved into the industry shortly thereafter. Great. Uh, what's your academic background to have you uh, first take a, a role in the, infra- or the aerospace industry and then morph over to infrastructure and the finance side? Yeah, uh, it's economics. Okay. <laughs> so I studied economics in in Canada uh, at uh, what is now called Western University uh, and then the University of London in in the UK. So that that's actually how I ended up in the UK. I did a degree in economics there and stayed and worked uh, for almost a decade. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm economics and and so in infrastructure, you, you find a whole range of people. There's a lot of engineers. Sure. I mean, you, I think you'd expect that. 
Uh, but you got a lot of financiers and a lot of people from kind of undirectly linked, you know, disciplines as well. It's it's pretty it's pretty diverse. Well, maybe we'll uh, pull that uh, thread a little bit further. Uh, and I know that you lead a team at Northleaf Capital uh, that looks after uh, infrastructure I- investing. I'd love to give a sense of how you think about constructing the team uh, and uh, and what type of candidates do you look for. Yeah. Um, so for, from the more junior, you know, and I'll work my way more junior and up from a, from a junior perspective, it's really about fit and a desire to work in the industry because uh, you can imagine it's not for everybody. Uh, th- this is not a trading desk. Sure. You know, the, the things we work on take a really long time and, and we've like, we've got a, an investment uh, in a wind farm. It took us about three years to close. Right. So, you know, it, it, you know, there has to be um, a certain personality that, that, that wants to work on, you know, maybe fewer transactions that take longer, but might be larger and definitely have a lot of complexity. So, so, you know, we're looking for good athletes, but they, they really have to have that mindset that, that this is, this is going to take a long time and, you know, the, the velocity of investing is different than in, you know, the public markets, right. for example. As, as we get more senior, we're, we're tending to look for people with specific industry experience. So they, they, you know, if you worked at another infrastructure manager, uh, if you work for a construction company, uh, a consultancy group that, that dedicated itself or had functions in infrastructure, it, it gets a lot more targeted as you get more senior. And, and you'll see, you know, we've got 25 plus people on our team right now, you know, and, and I'd say the majority came from infrastructure investment groups of various sorts, you know, these private infrastructure funds, pensions, insurance, and, and similar. I see. And uh, you've referenced a, a couple of times through the conversation about how broad the infrastructure universe is. I mean, infrastructure can really uh, entail so many different assets, so many different uh, projects. What is it that you're focused on and why did you choose to focus on that particular segment of the market? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are uh, an OECD manager. Okay. And so off the bat, there's only certain geographies that we work in. And that that's actually a big definer because um, the opportunities that are available differ by country. And, and, and I, that's a really important distinction. Uh, you know, if you're investing in Belgium, you know, they have very different infrastructure needs and land mass and population than the United States. Sure. So off the bat, we're an OECD manager. We're, we're really dedicated to about half a dozen countries, you know, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the U.K., and a couple of targeted Western European countries. Um, then within those countries, there's some sectors that we focus on. And and we'll look at things like renewable power. Okay. Uh, energy transition assets. So, you know, think things like um, biofuels, renewable natural gas. We look at um, tank storage, so different types of liquids. Uh, we look at transportation. You know, for us, mostly things like roads and maybe some smaller rail. Okay. Uh, we look also at uh, communications infrastructure which is, uh, you know, a, a newer but but very fast-growing and, and really diverse uh, sector for us. So, you know, towers, data centers, different types of fiber networks. 
Uh, and we'll, we'll work on things like PPPs as well. Like uh, we'll call it concessions, long-term contracted infrastructure of various sorts. It, it looks different in every country, but you know, we, we want diversity. So we cover all these sectors, but you know, they're, they're busier in some countries than others. Right. You know, it, it, it is country dependent. Uh, and so you, you really have to look under the hood to see, you know, where, where you can be active. Makes sense. And in those sectors, are they determined by where you see the best risk adjusted uh, re- return opportunity? Are they determined by sort of your skill set and your team's skill set to to participate within those uh, within those segments, or, or how are they determined? Yeah, it, it, you're, you, I think you, you you got it at the beginning. It, it's it starts with risk adjusted returns. So um, we have a, a fund mandate with particular goals. And uh, we can cover these certain geographies and we have a lot of flexibility on sector, but we are looking for, you know, double digit returns with the lowest risks possible. So that that is kind of the goal of the fund. And some of the sectors don't support that. Um, So I'll give you some examples. You know, a lot of the regulated utility landscape is not suitable for us. It's the returns are too low. Mm -hmm. Uh, they also tend to be very large. You know, we're more of a mid-market investor, and you know, the mid-market has got its own investment types. Um, you know, the, the larger end of the market has differences. Um, so, we, we, you know, risk-adjusted returns is 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 the start, but then we're we're often looking for different types of angles. So, do we have existing assets? Do we have knowledge or relationships? Sure. Uh, have we identified you know very measurable risk return and competition dynamics. So is there less visibility or competition in a particular sector? And you know, that helps us determine where we put our, our pounds per square inch. And you know, our team uh, is located in the UK, Canada, uh, the United States and Australia. So we're, we're regional. And so this analysis is done regionally um, and it changes all the time. You know, some some sectors are emerging and you might have better risk adjusted returns in the beginning and then they become mature and maybe they leave your pipeline. And that doesn't happen overnight. But, right. you, you know, th- this this is an evolution like you, you, your, your deal pipeline has to evolve with market conditions and you can't just rely on the ideas of five years ago. We're, we're constantly trying to find new ideas, new relationships and, and the societal needs change. Sure. I'll, 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 you know, very quick. I mean, communications, I mentioned energy transition. You can imagine now, you know, the ESG is at, uh, on the front page of everybody's book. And, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're very conscious that society is going to be demanding different types of infrastructure. So you have to position yourself accordingly. Uh, great. And when we talk about uh, those different sectors, and you sort of referred to it as uh, re- refreshing the pipeline, that type of thing, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your pipeline. I mean, obviously, uh, sourcing these infrastructure dealers deals is a um, uh, can be a unique challenge with uh, with a different skill set. How do you think about sourcing? How do you think about pipeline and in ensuring that that remains full? Yeah, yeah, and. So the you know my last uh, response a bit about you know, where are we targeting so that that I call that the beginning it's it's research so we're starting with research we've got these half a dozen countries let's look at these subsectors and let's see you know where there's less competition where there's good risk adjusted returns where we have relationships and th- these kind of things it, it, that's the first step and then the next step is going in and basically mapping either the assets or the industrial companies or the developers in those subsectors in those countries. So there, there's there's like a, a basically a coverage 
activity that we do. And then we go out and try to meet the industrials, the developers to the extent we don't know them. Right. And we start making different types of proposals. So uh, we know uh, your asset. We know that you want to recycle it next year so that you can take the capital and do other activities. We think we'd be a good owner for that. Here's a proposal. So there's a, there's a lot of bilateral discussion that occurs. And, and at our investment size in these countries, that's very deliberate. You know, we're, we're a mid-market manager. Everything we're doing is a bi- below a billion dollars of enterprise value. We're usually 100 to 200 million in equity. You know, at this size, that, that kind of conversation happens a lot. You know, the groups across from us, they're, they're not publicly listed, right. you know, typically. They don't have proper balance sheets a lot of the time. They don't have business development functions. They have trouble auctioning assets. So, you know, our job is to go find those and, and transact outside of auction as much as we can. And, and you know, that, that, that means you got to meet a lot of people and you got to be really patient and you have to have a pretty big funnel because right. we only do three, four investments a year, okay. you know, so, you know, and you might reject a hundred. And so the, the hit ratio is very low, but you know, that's, that's how we source and, and that's how we create value. You know, the sourcing in itself is absolutely a value creation activity. If finding the less visible opportunities where you're not competed. Great. Uh, so sourcing, obviously, uh, an important consideration uh, for and, and bakes in future returns uh, based on, uh, mm-hmm. on where you acquire those uh, deals. Um, also, you can have operational improvements uh, within any of the assets as well. How do you think about that component of generating return? So, the you know, as we think of return generation, we're looking at sourcing off market, growing investments and de-risking investments. And and through that, you're going to get a mix of different assets in a fund. Some are going to be returning income earlier. Some are going to be more capital gain and some are going to be a balance. And so so as we go in with our business plan, you know, the 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 growth and de-risking activities might be completing installation of a wind farm or a solar farm. It could be growing a fiber network, could be building new tanks at a tank farm. And each of these activities is going to have a different path to current income and and capital gain. And overall, we we, we sum it up to the fund level and we say, uh, we'd like a balance, you know, a mid to high single digit current yield or income, you know, post the investment period. And that, and, and, and then the remainder in, in capital gain. And that usually means around half of your return comes through the yield and around half through the capital, you know, capital outcome at the end. Um, and, you know, w- with these funds, you know, there, there's always more things that you can typically do. There's a lot of optionality with each of these investments. So you, you go in with an initial business plan. And I'll give you an example. We, have, we own a wind farm in the United States. The initial business plan was to complete the installation on time and on budget and to work on a couple of operational improvements that, that we had planned. You know, we, we did all that within the first 18 months. Okay. And we still own it. And now we've got other opportunities. We can forward sell our renewable energy credits, which we've done. There's another operational improvement that we're looking at. Uh, there, there, there's, there's a bunch of things that, that kind of come up just by owning the asset. And so your, your business plan actually changes over time. And that might change your yield profile. It might reduce it for capital gain purposes or increase the current income. 
uh, just just because it's a, a positive initiative. But uh, you know, it, it 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 it's something we're always re-reviewing. And um, you know, the, the the balance is always important. You know, we don't we don't want it to be a private equity fund where all the return comes at the end. Right. Um, great, great explanation and great detail. I'm curious as you're as you're looking for both income uh, improvement uh, or the uh, capital improvement. Either way, how important is the working relationship with the people who actually operate the asset? And how much do you think about that when you're uh, sourcing the deal and and when you're uh, entering those um, mm-hmm. those deals? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's usually important in every instance. But th- there's really two main types of investing that we do, and and I'll call one is called what I call it project investing, and that's when we're investing in a, like a single location with a single purpose. So a wind farm, wind farm just does one thing, generates electricity. It doesn't have any other business lines or activities or goals. It does one thing. It's a it's a project, and then company investing where uh, it, it, it's it's a little it's more involved. You'll have management. You might own more than one location. Sure. You might perform more than one function. It's always within infrastructure, and it might might be substantially a single purpose company, but you know it, it's not a single project. It, but they're 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 both it's both they're both important in different ways. So on the on the project on the project level, the 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 improvements uh, are often very operational related. And so if you have on the ground operators that are finding ways to improve the equipment, and it, you know it's it's either revenue increase or expense decrease. Sure. Uh, it can also be risk uh, related. Um, but um, uh, we're, we're often working very closely with the operators to see what ideas they have. And they might be operating other locations and the, there's a cross-fertilization of ideas. And we'll often introduce ideas as well because we've got experience across other assets. And so we'll be making suggestions to the operator, things that we've seen, things that we've learned, things to research as well. When it moves more into the company level, you know, that, that's really where we're, we're far more integrated with what we would traditionally call the management team. So there'll be a C-suite, you know, we'll be on the board, but we'll be in the offices or physical, you know, have physical meetings or Zoom meetings outside of the board all the time. Right. Uh, and it's a much more in- integrated activity because, you know, with, with company investing, uh, you know, there's so many more levers you can pull. And, and so the optionality that I mentioned before, you, we, you've got to go in and really observe all of the levers you've got. You, before you make an acquisition, you have a, a view. When you get in there, your, your, your view is refined. Sure. And it changes. And, and you have to be there to act. And at our investment size, you would be uncommon for these management teams to be able to do it all. It, 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 they're, they're not large enough. Right. They might not have every every bit of expertise you'd want. And so augmentation from our team, and we have a whole bunch of operating partners. Mm-hmm. So we have industrial experts that sit on our roster on an exclusive basis. You know, a combination of, of our core team and, and those operating partners will go in to all these companies and work on the business plans. And how often when you're coming into these uh, deals, do you simply inherit the current operating team? Or is and you and you have these experts, internal experts that they can draw on and resource, and it, or do you have partnerships with uh, either managers or other operational teams that you could subcontract to? Um, is that an important consideration when you're when you're choosing the project? Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. So on the project side, you know, the single purpose project, we'll, we'll often be bringing an operator in. Okay. And, and so we'll, the, you know, it might be a new project, for example, that doesn't have an existing operator. Right. We will identify the operator or equivalent and, and bring them in and, and contract with them. And then that could be, you know, a small management team as well. On the company side, um, it's it's very uncommon for us to do anything other than inherit the existing management, but but in inheriting them, we will work with them on strengths and strengths and weaknesses. So, are there any deficiencies? Are there upgrades? It, it's not we're not really working on anything revolutionary, but it is evolutionary. And you know, if if we're taking over a company, it's it's almost always because we're able to inject fresh capital into it for some purpose. Mm-hmm. And with that scaling, sometimes you need different people, more people, people with different experience. Uh, and, and so they're, they're, before we're an owner, there's often a very detailed transition plan. And, you know, you, you, you want to make sure they're all aligned before you're an owner. And then you set up management incentive plans as well for, for compensation. And, and, and you know, that's, that's something you'll do before an acquisition is closed. Sure. Um, we've talked a lot about how you think about acquiring the deals, what you do when you acquire them. Now, how, how about exiting the deals? How, how do you think about uh, selling different assets? Um, and I guess particularly how important is that network that we talked about for sourcing for actually exiting as well? Yeah. Yeah, well, we, they're, it's, they're all a journey. <laughs> and so I mentioned earlier, how, how do we find investments? So we start with research. We're looking for really low visibility opportunities from undercapitalized developers and industrials. Um, and, and so you're, you're, you're buying something or investing in something that's got, you know, kind of complexity and process and, it, and it, it's not intermediated by a banker and, and the like. And then we've got to take it and grow it or de-risk it or both in some way so that when we sell it, we can broaden the community of prospects. Right. And, and so, you know, it's, it's taking something less visible and creating something very visible, very easy to understand that that's in a different business position. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, we, we took something at the beginning of installation. We completed the installation. It's now generating revenue. It's now a yield investment. Right. And it's going to go to a different set of purchasers. So that that is the journey, but the you know the, the the theme of it really is you know when we look to exit, we want to be patient. We want to make sure that we've pulled as many levers as we can, mm-hmm. and and de-risked and grown it as best as we can, so that the new owner can see those improvements, and 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 pay for them, and. You know, we'll 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 nearly always be working with a banker at this point. Sure. So buy buy without bankers in the middle and sell with a banker on your side. Um, but but that but that is the path. And and you can imagine we're in touch with pension plans, insurance companies, sovereign wealth funds, infrastructure funds of all sorts of types, right. high net worth investors that are in the sector. And you know, that's the you know, each investment's got a particular home that we think will fit. Right. Um, and, and sometimes our investments are large enough to list. Okay. So that's always an exit, but more commonly a listed company might see it as a target. And, and, and that would be, you know, at our size is a more common exit to the extent we're leaving the financials. Great. Uh, and I, I guess, so we've gone sort of through the life cycle of the deal. 
Um, maybe I'll ask, and this is just out of uh, my ignorance, but what would you say is the most sort of non-obvious characteristic of what would you what you'd call a really successful deal? I mean, we've talked a little bit about sourcing. We've talked about operational improvements. I think those are fairly obvious. You know, is there is there something else that you look for that you think um, you, you find repeated in your in your more favorable deals? Yeah, I, 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 I'd say there's probably a couple. Um, one, one is um, when you go to exit, um, don't underestimate how much a new buyer might want the asset. Hmm. Um, so uh, we'll see in a number of the exit processes that someone just wants it, okay. what, whatever it is. And they, have, they might not have the same metrics they're measured on that you are. And so um, being patient and open-minded about the exits it can be important um, because, you know, we're looking at things through one lens and that, that might not be the right lens. And so, you know, acknowledging that I think, I think is important. Um, I, would, I would say where we've been kind of pleasantly surprised, uh, especially with some of our tank investments, um, and, you know, we, we talked about optionality and, and the like, and right. this, this would probably fall under operational improvements of some sort, but um, IT and automation, hmm. you know, we, we haven't often thought of that with infrastructure, depending on the infrastructure, of course. Sure. But with some of these investments, uh, it can be a big operational cost saver and at the same time, a big risk reducer. Um, because we've got technology now and automation with some of these locations that, uh, you know, is, is, is relatively new, but very effective. And so, uh, we have it and automation programs going on at three or four investments right now. Okay. And, uh, the, the results on what we've reviewed on past investments and these current projects, uh, th that's not something we we've base cased, if you know what I mean. Sure. Like it's, it's kind of, it, it it, it, you can think of it as optionality, but um, maybe optionality is really tough to assess until you're an owner and until you're living, breathing with the business and seeing where the choke points are. Great. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot, uh, again, about uh, sort of single deals and how you find the single assets. Now, ultimately, you manage funds and you manage different vintages of those, of those um, strategies. Uh, how do you think about putting these different assets together? Are you trying to target uh, anything other than a return uh, specific um, objective? Or how do you think about piecing the assets and, and what vintage they go into and, and that type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we are looking for diversity by asset type, counterparty, geography, uh, equipment. The, there's a lot of different diversity metrics that go into every fund. And they, they might be hard to see, you know, when you're advertising returns and yields and, and geographic uh, factors, but um, we're looking for all sorts of different diversity in the fund. So that, that is very deliberate. Um, and, and uh, you know, each of these funds has got, um, you know, a, a design, a portfolio design to it. With respect to the different vintages we have, it's usually sequential. So... Sure. Uh, when the second vintage, for example, is near done, then you start investing the third vintage. You know, you, the the last investment in the second vintage might be the first investment in the third. They might partner together so that, you know, you've got kind of a bridge and, and you know, often there's a capital reason for doing that. But they, they act independently. 
so they're independent. They, they have their own investors. The investors change every fund. So there's an independence there. Um, and, you know, over, over time, you know, we, we're always looking to do different initiatives at either, you know, the, the macro level that end up being at the individual level with respect to things like leverage. Right. So we're aiming to delever over time. You know, the, our third vintage, for example, it's kind of started at 40% debt to enterprise value. It's now a bit less than 30%. Okay. You know, that, that is deliberate where we're, we're trying to delever as, as a, you know, the fund matures and then it's able to deliver more yield as well. Um, so there, there's, there's a bunch of fund level factors that go, that go into the thinking. Um, but they, but they all act independent and, and, you know, they all have their own composition and goals given their different vintages. Makes a lot of sense. And then maybe this is a question for both the, the deal basis as well as the, the overall fund basis. But are the risks in these assets really uh, idiosyncratic? Or do you find that uh, the assets are correlated in some way uh, and face sort of the same macro pressures? Yeah, uh, I hate I hate giving the answer. It all depends, but but it's it's a little true. It's a little true. So um, uh, many of the investments have their own captured risks, um, and 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 so they they they've got their own set of contracts or their own set of users, and they're uncorrelated for for some intents and purposes because there's just nothing exactly like them, but. Um, you know, you, you can move up to 30,000 feet and see some themes. And, and so, uh, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a few. Sure. So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic here. We've seen, um, uh, ridership or usership at transportation increase since March, 2020 in most locations. Um, and so on a macro theme, you could say transportation really all took a hit in in the pandemic right. and is now starting to recover um but but the hits were all very different and the recoveries have looked really different as well even even in the assets we own we've seen very different behaviors so you know we we've got a road in virginia i think it it dropped to 15 percent or it dropped by 15 percent. so it went from 100 percent to 85 percent of usership okay. at the beginning of the pandemic it's now over 100 percent of what it was right as one example you know, I, I can tell you in the in the airport sector, you're you're not seeing anything like that. Right. You know, you know, you might have gone down ninety percent, right. and you might be up to fifty percent, depending on the country. The U.S. is definitely higher than fifty percent, but you know, again, it, it depends on the month, the day that you're measuring, and the country you're in. So, so there there are some some macro themes that you can see, um, but you really have to look under the hood um, and. We, we, we found, you know, we use the pandemic, we use the financial crisis as examples of disasters. Sure. Um, and we look at the impact across the assets. And, you know, for the pandemic, the vast majority of our assets just weren't impacted. They were all contracted revenue deals. And maybe the credit quality of the people on the other side reduced a bit for a period of time, but they still paid their bills. Right. And, and you know, where we saw most of the impact was transportation, yeah. which, again, is a, a varied experience. Um, and, and then again, every country is different too. You know, you can imagine Australia had a worse lockdown. Sure. <laughs> people, you know, in the US, people are back in the office, uh, you know, so it, it's, 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 it's very regional on top of everything I just said as well. But, but needless to say, we, we're really pleased with 
the results out of the pandemic from our portfolio. We, we had very little impact um, because of the diversity and, and because a lot of this is just contracted infrastructure. You know, people still pay their bills. You know, it, it's, you know, the, the vast minority of what we do is related to volumes. And, you know, that, that in the end ended up being highly protective. That, that's great, Jamie. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think would be important to, to mention here? Um, I, you know, I, I, I'd say, you know, this is a growing sector. You know, the, the, we, we touched on a bunch of themes today. Uh, I, I would guide people to energy transition as one that maybe we, we covered a few times, right. but that you'll, you, you hear a lot, but you are going to continue to hear a lot of. Uh, you know, for most of the goals that we see with respect to uh, fossil fuel consumption or, or reductions thereof, uh, there's going to be a lot of investment required in transition, you know, electric vehicles, different types of liquids that go into industrial and commercial vehicles, uh, different different types of electricity generation, right. you know, battery storage, renewable natural gas, biofuels. These are, you know, still in some cases nascent, depending on the country and, and, and the governmental goals. But, um, uh, you know, people should expect to see an awful lot of investment and activity in that in that general theme here for years. Uh, and and uh, and that's that's regardless of any of the countries we work in. Right. Well, Jamie, uh, thank you for, for that final note. Uh, I look forward to continuing to watch how you invest and take uh, advantage of that uh, transition along with the other assets as well. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 